Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. So, we have been talking about discipleship, and this is actually the seventh lesson in that series. So, you need to go back and hear those other lessons again for the first time or hear them over and over again. We are called not just to be Christians, we are called to be Christ's disciples. You see, a disciple is a devoted follower who forsakes all, who leaves all behind to be with the one who chose him and to walk beside him. A disciple lays down his old life so that he can pick up a new and better life. A disciple of Christ is a spiritual apprentice, a spiritual apprentice. You know, in the natural, an apprentice is one who learns a trade, workman, artist, and artisans. They, they, are, they are developed and, and, and trained under a master. We are spiritual apprentices. We're learning kingdom business from the master himself. Hallelujah. A disciple is a student of the Word. I've always said that if, Naga, if people in Nagaland were as serious about being students of the Word as they are about being students in grammar school and high school and college, they would be spiritual giants, right? We are students of the Word. A disciple receives the Word, relies on the Word, and that's not all. He relays the Word to others. He takes it, trusts it, and tells it to others. He is a hearer, a holder, and a herald, a herald of the Word. So we've been talking a lot about discipleship, and here's another point here tonight. A true disciple is also a disciple-maker. A true disciple is also a disciple-maker. He is led by the Lord, and he leads others to the Lord. He knows the Lord, and he makes him known. These are the characteristics of a true disciple. So Jesus told these men, follow me, and I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. So we have to say this, if we're not catching men for Christ, are we really following him? Because he said, if you follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. I'll make you a soul winner. Now, there are many members in the body of Christ 
and they don't all, all have the same office or, or hold, uh, hold the same office or have the same function. But regardless of our ministry, regardless of our place or position in God's church, every one of us, every one of us here tonight, everyone who's watching this online, every one of us, our, heart des- our heart's desire should be to see souls saved. Mm, that, that was not good enough. Our heart's desire should be to see souls saved. If you love Jesus, I dare say you love to tell others about him. If you don't have a passion to win the lost, I don't think you are as close to the Lord as you think. You may be following him from a distance, like Peter, who warmed himself at the wrong fire and a little bit later said he didn't even know him. If you follow him closely, he will lead you right into a soul-saving ministry. Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness here today? I know some of you agree with that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's look at another scripture today. John chapter 4, verse 35. John 4, 35. Do not say, do you, rather, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see, the fields are white for harvest. Woo! So Jesus said the fields are ripe and ready for the picking. What does that mean? That means there are people all around us who need to be saved from sin and spiritual death, and they are willing to receive Christ. They just need someone to tell them. I said they just need someone to tell them. We sometimes think and that, that nobody is really interested in hearing the gospel. And really, that's a lie from the devil. The devil will cause, will deceive you, and he'll tell you, you know, people in this town, people in this village, people in this state, whatever it is, People in your community, and they're not really interested anymore. They're not, they don't really, young people today, old people today, whatever it is, it's the same lie. They're not really interested in hearing about the gospel. They've heard that before. They don't want to hear it again. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'll tell you, that's an absolute lie. And that that is designed to stop you. That is designed to, to silence you. That's not the Holy Ghost that told you that. Huh? Yes, of course, there are people who reject the truth. There are people who refuse to even listen to it. However, there are many, many more people who want what you have. They just don't know how to get it. I said they want what you have. They just don't know how to get it. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a It's a fact that oftentimes people curse what they think they cannot have. They curse what they think they cannot have. So they see you, and they say to themselves, well, I could never have what you have, 
because I don't deserve it. I've been too bad. I've done too many horrible things. And so because they just think, they believe, it's impossible that God would ever love them. It's impossible that they could ever be forgiven. They hate you out of envy. But when they discover and they need to know that it's all because of God's grace, it's his undeserved, unmerited favor. That's why we're saved, that nobody here deserves or merits anything from God. Then they realize, you mean even I can have that? Yes, that's the good news. How about an amen? amen. Praise the Lord. So the harvest is ripe. The harvest of souls, it's ripe. Somebody says, oh, I didn't think he would preach on that. Oh, praise the Lord, the Holy Ghost set you up. You needed to hear it, that's why. The, the fields are ripe. Many Christians, of course, they're not here tonight, but many Christians cannot see the harvest. He said, lift up your eyes. Many Christians cannot see the harvest because they have an eye problem. Not an E-Y-E eye problem, a capital I problem. Huh? Because they're so focused on themselves, their own needs and desires. They're so busy pursuing their dreams, furthering their career, they hardly even notice that there's a world around them that's lost and dying. Hmm? Here we are, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you. If you're convicted, that's a good thing. I mean, we, all, we all need to get stirred up. Here we are taking a sun bath in God's presence while millions are dwelling in the shadow of death, and it doesn't bother us. I said it doesn't even bother us. Are you out there today? Amen. Praise the Lord. Lift up your eyes. Maybe you need to stop gazing at your own navel long enough to realize there's a lot of people who haven't experienced one-tenth of what you have. They don't know anything compared to what you know. You're so focused on, I got this problem and I got that problem. Yeah, but you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and God's helping you. These people are on their way to hell and you don't care. Amen. Amen. And we can come to church, and no offense, you know, but we can say, I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, Lord, you know I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, but if you're not sharing the love of Christ with others, you don't love him as much as you claim. You love him for what he can do for you. Boy, I feel like some of you are going to stone me right now, but I'm telling you the truth, and you should be glad. Amen. Lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. An experienced farmer, and obviously that's not me, an experienced farmer recognizes the seasons by the characteristics of the times and prepares for it. He knows when the monsoon rains are coming. You know, he can, maybe a good farmer can even smell the rain in the air, it's coming. It's, I can feel it. Some people like, you know, your grandmother, they can feel it. it's going to rain. I can feel it in my bones. 
You ever have a grandmother like that? I do. I did. Praise the Lord. He also anticipates and recognizes the dry heat of summer and gets ready for it. So it's not a, a day on the calendar that sets him to work. It's the conditions that are conducive for growth. So Jesus told his disciples, you need to know the times. This is the season for harvest. The visible signs around us tell us it's, the it's time for us to get to work to reap lost souls into God's kingdom. And that's not just the job of like the evangelist or, 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 or the evangelism team. That's, that's everybody. Everybody in the body of Christ. Can, I'm going to get a recording of amens and I'm, I have a big crowd saying amen, a thunderous roar, and I'm going to have the sound man play that from time to time just so I'll be encouraged. I think I'll go somewhere and buy some mannequins, you know, little store dummies that wear clothes, and I'll sit it next to you. But I'll put a name tag on the mannequin so I know which one is the dummy and which one's you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to be unkind. Maybe I do. Anyways, <laughs> look at the scripture, or listen to the scripture, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5. Proverbs 10, verse 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. A child of God not only has rights, and we love to talk about that, and that's great, but the son, a child of God not only has rights, he has responsibilities. We are sons and daughters in God's family, in his household. But in God's family, everybody has chores. Everybody has a job to do. Praise the Lord. So the Father not only provides for your needs, he provides you with opportunities to serve. So from this scripture, Proverbs 10, 5, imagine, imagine this picture, a farmer, and he's working alone by himself in this large field. And his neighbors see him struggling. It, the job is too big for him. He, there's no way in the world he could harvest all of this acreage, all these hectares and, and bigas. No way in the world he can by himself do it. And so the neighbors ask, where, where are your sons? You're alone. Where are your sons? And he's embarrassed and says, well, you know, one of my sons, he's at home playing on his computer. A and another son, uh, he went on a picnic with his friends. And, and the other son, he's tired, and he said he's going to go home and rest. Are you listening to me? I think in many ways, that's just like our Heavenly Father. Where are your sons, O oh God? Where are your sons? And these lazy sons, they don't realize that if the crops are not reaped in time, the whole family will suffer. In other words, it will have a direct bearing on my life whether the harvest is reaped or not. Not just affect that person, it affects me too. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23, Paul said this by the Spirit. He said, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. He's talking about the sacrifices he made, the adjustments he made. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them, meaning those who hear it, I may share with them in its blessings. Men who hear the truth and who surrender to Christ are not only rescued from sin, they are blessed. And the world is a better place because of it. I said the world is a better place because of it. Because what happens to one man also affects another. A friend of mine, before he got saved, he was a, well, he was a criminal. He was in prison. And he said later, God saved me to save you from people like me. <laughs> so you rejoice. There are a lot of people, I'm so glad they got saved. There's a lot of people even here tonight, I'm so glad you got saved. Because we, we, we saw what you looked like before, and it was not a pretty picture. We are, God saved you, not just for you. He did it also for us. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you really want to change the world, preach the gospel. I said, if you really want to change the world, preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I know it's easier just to sit on your murrah by the fire and sip tea and moan and groan. But if you really want to do something, preach the gospel. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So uh, my wife and I, we used to live, we used to have a home in the U.S. state of North Carolina. And there were several farms near our home. And as I drove past those fields day after day, it was interesting to notice the development of the crops that had been planted. One day there's a barren field and you, you know, after a while you start to see just a little green you know, foliage and, you know, and on and on it went. Throughout most of the year, there was very little activity. I sometimes wondered, does, who owns this field? I never see anybody here. You know, I, I, never, I, never, I never see anybody working here, nothing. And then suddenly one day, you know, in the fall or a certain time of year, one day, boom, the, 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 the field is full of machinery and men working busily, and they're bringing in the harvest. And I noticed one thing that's interesting. Even though we're talking about acres and acres, huge field, you know, almost to the horizon. I mean, it's kind of an exaggeration, but, you know, very far. And like within maybe a day or so, whew, they reaped it. You know why? Because there's a window of opportunity. There's a small window of opportunity, and they have to time it just right. If they wait too long, it, the harvest will be spoiled. It will be overripe. And some of you, you, you know this better than me, right? So they've got that limited time frame when they've got to get it done. And during that time, it's all hands on deck. They need everybody. They bring workers from other places. They rent machinery. Other farmers join with them. They, they, they work cooperatively, and they got to get it done. Are you listening to me? There's a great harvest to be reaped at this time. And the Lord is going to do a quick work in the earth. 
when we look around at the signs of the times, you'd have to be blind not to realize that the end is near. And I'm telling you, if you don't know it already, this age is going to soon come to an end. This age of grace, this church age, it's go- this church age, th- this, sal- this day of salvation, it's going to come to an end. And after that comes another day. That's the day of judgment. So now it's time for the entire family of God to be at work in the field of lost souls. Because if we don't act now, the moment may pass us by and the harvest will be lost for our generation, for this time in our lives. We're not responsible for previous generations. God doesn't hold us accountable for what happened 200 years ago, 150 years ago, even 75 years ago. But we are, we're not responsible for, for future generations directly. But we are, we are directly responsible for this generation in our day. Amen. So years ago, I visited the country of Japan. And I, I spoke with one older pastor there, a kind man. And... He told me that at the end of World War II, the Japanese people were very open to the gospel. Now, if you go to Japan today, their churches are very small. They're tiny. They're minuscule. I mean, if you have a church of like 50 people in Japan, that would be a mega church. I'm not joking. That would be like a big church. You got 50 people. Woo, that's a big church, you see. Very tiny churches, you see. Very few Christians. But at the end of World War II, people were demoralized. Everything they once believed in had failed. Even the emperor, whom they considered divine up until the time they surrendered, and that just kind of pulled the rug out from underneath them. He said at that time, If you handed a man on the street a gospel tract, he would stop and read the entire thing with great interest. And before he had finished, a small crowd would gather around him in curiosity, and they would also look on. He said people were ready. They were ready. Someone said this, that Christianity is called the religion of rescue. It especially appeals to people who are hurting People who, are, people who are, are in need of deliverance, people who need a miracle. It does not appeal in the natural realm so much to those who are self-satisfied. And the Bible says that. You see your calling, brother, how, many, how that not many who are of noble birth, not many who are wise according to this world, not many who are powerful according to this world are called, but God has chosen the, the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world and the things that are not. You see, it appeals especially to people who are hurting. Hallelujah. In fact, General, U.S. General Douglas MacArthur asked America, send us a hundred thousand, because he was like the governor of Japan, send us a hundred thousand missionaries. Or maybe, I'm sorry, maybe it was 10,000 missionaries. But sadly, only a few went, just a handful. I think it's because most of the population in America, they were embittered by the war. Uh, Their hearts had become very hard because of all that had happened, and so they were not willing. And the moment passed... The moment was lost, and so was that generation. And today, tragically, 
most Japanese are largely indifferent to the truth of Christ and very hard to reach. So we have a harvest. If we're not careful, this generation will be lost. Please listen to me, my friends. Do not put your trust in some religious heritage. That will not sustain future generations. Every generation must be one for the Lord. I think, I think previous generations will rise up and criticize us if we don't reach this generation. They will say, we did the hard work. We reached our community. We reached our tribe. We went to every village. We went to every, every mountain range. We, we went where no one would go, and now it's your turn. And what are you doing? What are you doing? See, we have a responsibility. Amen. In Matthew 9, 36, we read this verse. Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a uh, shepherd. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus does not see things as we see them. If I look at a photo of the Kum uh, Mela with its teeming masses, this sea of humanity, I see a disaster. I'm sorry, I'm just being very honest with you. I, I see like, like the sum of all fears, your worst nightmare. If, if somebody were to take me by a helicopter and drop me in the middle of that, I would scream bloody murder the whole way. <laughs> but Jesus sees what I don't see. Precious people for whom he shed his blood. People without hope and without God in the world. And friends, I think we could say that India, perhaps India is the most religious country on earth. I think, I think we could say re, India is the most religious, because a lot of countries, you know, they're very secular. India is one of the most religious countries on earth. Don't they deserve to hear the truth? Lord, Why should anybody hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it at least once? Amen? In 2 Kings, we read an interesting story. The Syrians besieged the city of Samaria resulting in a severe famine. There was no food, and in desperation, some of the Israelites even resorted to cannibalism. It's terrible. They were e eating their own babies. But Elisha, the prophet, foretold that God would deliver them, and food would be in abundance. And the story tells us that there were four lepers who were sitting outside the gates of the city, and they decided to approach the camp of the Syrians. And they were shocked to find it abandoned because God had caused the Syrians to hear the sound of a massive army approaching. And in fear, they fled. And these four lepers found the tents of the Syrians filled with food and garments and riches and abundance of things. So they grabbed hold of things and, and, and they rejoiced and were feasting and reveling in the uh, booty. But then they said to each other, 
In 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 9, they said to each other, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come and let us go and tell the king's household. See, they were, they were just enjoying themselves. They were, they, were, they were filling their bellies with food. They were trying on all these garments. They were stuffing their pockets full of gold and silver. And they were just, you could just imagine, they were dancing with glee. It's like a little bit of heaven for them. But they said, wait a minute. We're not doing right. We're not doing the right thing. If we're silent... If we're silent, in other words, if we don't tell others what's happened, it won't go well for us. Oh, those four lepers had more integrity than some pastors I know. Praise the Lord. We cannot stay criminally silent. It won't be good for us. Imagine this, my friends. Imagine if you worked in a bank and your neighbor took out a huge loan from that bank. More money than he could ever hope to repay. And then at a meeting of the board of the directors, it was decided by the bank officers that out of benevolence, out of kindness, out of mercy, the bank has decided to cancel that debt. And they entrusted you as a bank employee, tell your neighbor, it's all cleared, but you didn't tell him. You forgot. You got busy with other things. Or maybe you decided that eh, he's always so irritable. He's always so unkind to me. He never smiles. I'm not going to tell him. So your neighbor continued living under the stress and strain of debt in fear that any moment his house, his land may be taken, repossessed. He's working two and three jobs, struggling somehow to make payments on his debt, when in reality his bill has been cleared, but you did not bother to tell him. And if he were to find out, how do you think he would feel? You didn't tell me. You didn't tell me. Hallelujah. The gospel is not, if we try harder, God may forgive us. If we improve, God may accept us. No, the gospel is Jesus' blood paid it all. God has canceled the debts of the world. The lost now only need to know that, believe that, and receive Christ as Savior. Hallelujah. Now, if a man repeatedly rejects the gospel, if he hears it time and time again and refuses, well, that, that's his choice. But no one should go to hell having never heard. I said no one should go to hell having never heard. And if they have not heard and leave this world, will they have another opportunity to be saved? No. Nowhere in the Bible 
Nowhere in the Bible are we ever told that those who die get a second chance. Only in this life can men be saved. It's nice to go to a funeral and think, well, you know, maybe somehow, you know, uh, maybe, you know, wherever he went, he's getting another. No, no, no. That's, ju that's just trying to slough off our responsibility. It's in this life, in this life only, that people can be saved. And since we have no promise of tomorrow, we should be busy now. Come on. Praise the Lord. Let's go back. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Let's read verse 37 and 38. Jesus saw the crowd. Then he said in verse 37 and 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Well, if God needs more workers, why doesn't he just send them? If God needs more laborers for his farm, why doesn't he just put them to work? Because God requires our cooperation. He is limited by our prayers. He needs us to open the door for him, to give him the, the, legal, the legal right to operate and perform his will in our lives. That's why he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. One way, one very important way that we can be harvesters is by praying for more laborers. That's something that every one of us can do. Pray for more laborers. Notice he said, pray earnestly. So that means, you know, you really mean it. You really mean it. Now, it's interesting, just a thought here, where it says that he may send out the two words send out come from one Greek word, ekbalo, ekbalo. And it actually means to eject, to forcibly expel, or to push out. It's interesting. The same word is used in Mark chapter 1, verse 12. It says, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. So in other words, Jesus didn't just, you know, think like, you know what? I think I'd like to go to the wilderness. No, there was some compelling force that was driving him. He had to go. He knew he must go. It's almost as if he had no choice, almost as if he had no choice. In fact, the same Greek word, it's interesting, the same Greek word is used to describe casting out demons. Same, same Greek word. So in other words, when we pray, it's not that some people say, well, you know, I've been thinking about it. I might just try to, you know, share the gospel a little bit. No, the Spirit of God will forcibly push them. They'll be driven. They'll say, nothing's going to stop me now. I am going to take this gospel to these people. I'm going to bring this good news. I'm going to bear the light in this dark place, and no devil of hell has better get in my way because I'm going to run him over. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of strength that God can give a person. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And see, that can happen. Why? Because somebody prayed. Amen. There are people, listen, folks, there are people who may go to remote areas of the world and be the first to bring the name of Jesus because you prayed. And you may never meet that person. You may, you may never even know the story, but heaven knows. Praise the Lord. Let's go back. I'm going to finish this. 
Go back to John chapter 4, verse 36 to 38. John chapter 4, verse 36 to 38. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So God will reward soul winners. God will reward soul winners. Brother Hagen, in 1950, and you'll pardon me for mentioning him frequently, but I think it's, it's good. Brother Hagen, in 1950, he had a vision of the Lord Jesus, and he said at one point in the encounter, Jesus held in his hand a crown. And, and Brother Hagin said it was, it was the most beautiful thing you could imagine. I, I don't have words to describe how beautiful that, that crown was. And he said to the Lord, what is that? And the Lord said, this is a soul winner's crown. This is the reward for being a soul winner, for leading the lost to salvation through Jesus Christ. Woo! Woo! Some people are just going to wear a paper hat in heaven. <laughs> Some people are going to wear a stocking in heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. God will reward the soul winner. Praise the Lord. You know what? Maybe in your Christian life, you haven't done a lot right. Maybe it's been one mess up after another, one big disaster after another. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you've been a thorn in the flesh to everyone in the church. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but I'm just saying maybe that could be. But you know what? If you can lead one other person to the Lord or help one other person come to Christ, when you get to heaven, there'll be at least one person who says, thank you. I'm here today for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus died for me. And number two, because you told me about it. <laughs> you may not have the reward of somebody, but I'm telling you that would be reward. That may be reward enough for somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think we ought to rejoice a little bit right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. God will reward the soul winner but it's a team effort. He says, one sows, another reaps. Sometimes your job is only to sow a seed. In other words, you just share a portion of, of the truth. You just share a little bit of the good news. And you may not see any immediate results. You, you may not see some drastic change or anything of that nature, but that seed will germinate in the heart of a man. The Holy Spirit will work on that and then someone else will come along later. Someone you may not ever know about. Someone you may, you have, you, 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 you're not even aware of this. And they'll come in and lead that person to Christ because you sowed a seed. And you don't have to be, you know, Billy Graham or Billy Sunday. You don't have to be, you know, a famous, a famous evangelist. You don't have to be Dale Moody. You just have to be someone who can just have a little courage and a little bit of love and share, sow a little seed in somebody's life. Years ago, I went to a Christian concert, 
and there was a, a, a brother there who played the guitar and sang, and his name was Barry McGuire. Barry McGuire. And he had gotten saved, I guess, in the 60s out of the hippie movement, you know? And he was on fire for Jesus. And he said way back then, he was in the city of San Francisco. And he was just, uh, I think he was just sitting on the sidewalk or something, playing his guitar. And this kind of drugged out, spaced out fellow walked by him, stranger, looked at him and said, hey man, what's up? And Barry McGuire just looked up and said to him, Jesus. And the guy just stared at him like, like he got shot with a bullet. And just, just, just walked off, you know, looking like he was really disturbed. Well, that bothered that fellow so much that he, he, I think he started reading his Bible and he visited a church or something like that. He got saved. God changed his whole life, really. He was in the ministry serving the Lord. Years later, he met Barry McGuire and said, I, I got saved because of you. Here's the thing. Barry McGuire didn't even remember that incident. He, he didn't even remember it. He said, yeah, you said to me. I said, what's up? He, you said to me, Jesus. He said, really? I don't even remember that. He said, but see, just because you don't remember it, that doesn't mean it had no effect on the person who heard it. God's word will not return to him void. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So you see, there's a great work that must be done. Oh, come on. There's some people, Bible school graduates and others, sitting around praying for their ministry. Oh, Lord, when are you going to give me my ministry? Oh, Lord, where's my anointing? Oh, Lord, when are you going to open the doors for me? Meanwhile, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are ripe for the harvest right now. You just get busy. You just share the gospel. Hallelujah. Hand out tracts. Go to the railway station. Visit your neighbor's home. Call up your colleagues and, and school friends and just let them know. Maybe just one word, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. Listen, there's some of you, let's, let's be honest. There's some of you, you know that your old friends would be shocked if they saw you today. You mean you've become religious? They, they, would, be, they would be taken aback. They see you lifting up your hands and speaking in tongues. They would be shocked. And you're, you're kind of embarrassed to let them know that that's who you are now. When you see them in the mall, you're like, praise the Lord. Pray. Hi. Oh, yes. Hi. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Yes, And somebody says something. Hey, you know what? I just got a new job. And you say, oh, pray. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> but you know what? You're so concerned. And I, you know, this message is for me, not just you. This message is for me, too. But, you know, we're so concerned. What are they thinking? They might look at me funny, but they might not. And even if they do sort of like seem put off, that's okay. Maybe they need to hear that. Maybe all their life they've been around people who, maybe they intended well, but they were not a very good representation of Christ. So they need you. They need to see someone like you. Amen? Lift up your eyes.